This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Tuesday, March 19th. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today, the Athletic's own Dane Brugler. Dane, how you doing? Doing great. It's hard to believe we're less than a month now from the from the draft, so it, it's coming. So funny that you mentioned that, because this is the time in the calendar, late March as we get into April, the first wave of free agency is done, that I personally turn the page to the draft. And I think a lot of other people do too, right? I mean, there's a lot of free agency coverage. The news has been incessant over the last two weeks. There's been so much stuff that we've had to dig through. We haven't really touched on the draft at all. And now with the owners' meetings kicking up, that kind of is the unofficial turning point to the draft every single year where free agency starts to die down and now here we are. Last year, to kick this off, we had you on to do what I refer to as an idiot's guide to the 2021 draft because in this case, I am the idiot. I know so little about the draft class at this stage every single year and I try to lean on you and other very smart people who do this full time to get a sense of what the class looks like as we hit this point in the calendar. And because I am not a creative person, and you're the only person I want to talk to about this, I figured we would do the same thing for the 2022 class. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, this is, each class has its own identity, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's like this, this class is different than what we've seen from other classes. And so it's, there's plenty to touch on today. So we'll, we'll have plenty of topics to hit here. So just so people know, you have been on the feed with Lance Zerline pretty much every single week throughout the offseason to do draft coverage. This is going to be your appearance on the show this week. Lance is going to take the week off. You guys will be back the following week. So on Wednesday, we're actually going to do a mailbag with me and Nate. So please come back and check that out. So if you're a little concerned that Dane is not on your feed later this week, that is the reason. All right, let's get going with this, okay? I want to ask you first and foremost, how would you classify this 2022 class if you're comparing it to previous years if you're trying to find a class that it reminds you of if you're just giving me the broad strokes about what this group looks like where would you start Uh, it's uh, it's a class where it's getting it's it's been beat up pretty good in terms of the (laughs) lack of high-end talent uh the blue chippers but at the same time it's unique because we've we have more like top testers at the top of this draft than we usually do. So it's kind of, uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of an, give me some examples. Well, I mean, guys like Travon Walker guys like, you know, not everyone's in love with Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson has the same three cone as Von Miller. So, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's something that uh, it, it's just a very unique situation with the perceived. And I think realistic lack of established blue chip prospects at the top. But then also the lack of excitement around these quarterbacks. I mean, that's something that will define the class. And, you know, the quarterbacks, they drive the conversation every year. No no different this year. You know, some scouts will compare it to 2011 minus the minus Cam Newton at one. That that was the year we saw guys like uh, Jake Locker, uh, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder. All, guys, all they all went top 15. Uh, guys where you could see the talent, but... The you know they were projects. They were a gamble. Guys that were just tough to get too excited about. Kind of like this year, and time will tell if we see these quarterbacks this year still go as high. But I think just the relative you know lack of quote unquote elite players at the top, the questions of the quarterbacks. Uh, but once we get past that, this is a really deep class at certain positions. And I think you know when we talk about pass rushers, and you know we'll talk about some of these other positions. They will stretch into day two, into day three. And I think that could end up being what we remember this class for. Well, it's funny. You mentioned the 2011 class because while the quarterbacks were not very good outside of Cam Newton, the rest of the top 10 is one of the best draft classes of the last 20 years. I mean, of my lifetime. If you think about Von Miller went number two. I mean, that was Julio Jones, A.J. Green, J.J. Watt. I mean, all the defensive players. Cam Hayward went in the 30s in that class. Cam Jordan was in that class. I mean, it's one of the best. Patrick Peterson was in that class. I mean, it's one of the best draft classes in recent memory because of all the non-high-quality quarterback talent at the top. So if we look at the top 10 of that class, let's talk about the top 10 of this class. You mentioned Aiden Hutchinson. There are some offensive tackles that are in this conversation, a couple corners. Who would you say are the the guys that interest you the most in this top 10 conversation, be it their quality as a prospect, where their fit is, just the conversations you've been having with yourself and other people a lot about the guys in that top 10 range. 
Well, let's start with Aiden Hutchinson, uh, who I just referenced. Uh, he's a short-armed, revved-up pass rusher who is a better athlete than he's given credit for. He can win in different ways. There, there's power in his upper half, so you know he can give you that forward lean, go through blockers. He's got agile feet, hand technique. He doesn't have the same arc bend as some of these other pass rushers we've seen go early, but I referenced the three-cone identical to Von Miller. You see the movement skills with him. But what you love the most is just how mature he is with his handwork. Uh, he varies up his stun moves, rip moves, swat. He's got a slap move that uh, compares to, to Will Smith to Chris Rock. I mean, he, he's got all these different <laughs> things that he can he can bust out there. Uh, credit to Will Smith. He got me to watch the Oscars for five minutes. So uh, he, he did the impossible. So it, it's just, uh, I think the thing with Hutchinson too is just that that genuine desire to be the best. I, I think it's, you know, it could be overblown when we talk with these prospects. Oh, he's he's got football passion. He's got this and that. With Aiden Hutchinson, I I, I buy into it. You know, it's it's really genuine with him. He's cut from the Watt family cloth in that respect. Uh, I had one uh, Michigan coach tell me how he never went to spring break with his teammates. He couldn't because the whole time he'd be lamenting the fact that he wasn't getting better. That's just how... He's wired, and that's something that is going to appeal to a lot of NFL teams. That's uh, why he'd be the perfect draft pick uh, to, for the Lions and Coach Campbell if he gets past Jacksonville at one. So Aiden Hutchinson, uh, he's maybe not as – has some of the elite traits that you, you know we've seen go that early, like from a Chase Young, from the Boses, from Miles Garrett. But still, the talent is, is undeniable, and he's going to be a productive pro. Uh, the offensive lineman – with uh, Iki Ikwanu from NC State, Evan Neal from Alabama, both these guys are, are NFL starters early. They can play tackle, can play guard. Both are a little different in what they offer. Uh, Ikwanu is more of the mauling run blocker who just generates extraordinary explosion at contact, controlled violence. Uh, and then as a in pass protection, yes, he's going to overset. His over-aggressive tendencies will work against him at times. But he showed tremendous growth in, in, in maturation uh, this past year uh, in his past sets. So nimble, he's powerful. As he gets older and grows, the technique and awareness is going to catch up. And so that's why Icky's talked about as uh, a top five pick in this draft. Evan Neal, for a guy that's 340, he's going to be between 340 and 350 probably as his it's ideal playing weight. It's insane how he carries that on that frame. It when really I is. saw him at the combine, I was like, there's no way. He weighs 350 pounds. I mean, Doesn't it's crazy. Like and, and, and he's a guy that has been 350, I mean, since high school. Uh, I mean, even going back to like when he was a freshman in high school, he was a this huge human being who has managed his weight uh, ever since. And, you know, going to IMG Academy and then in Alabama. I mean, he is a guy that understands how to work with his weight, uh, whether that's, you know, adding a little bit more, taking a little bit off. It, it's just really interesting how it's spread throughout his body. Uh, but he's really smooth in pass protection. It's it's really fun to watch. Um, you know, he's he does fall off blocks in the run game, and that's something where he needs to get needs to get better. Uh, but he just has a rare mix of size, athleticism, flexibility. You think you have a guy that's going to be a plug and play starter? Has uh, experienced tackle guard, so there's a lot to like there. Moving away from tackle, I'm curious though for the tackles. Mm-hmm. If you're looking, so obviously last year the two guys at the top with with Sewell and Slater, both of them right. go in the top twelve. Do any of these prospects compare to them as pre-draft talents, or do you feel like both all of these guys would be below those two in your evaluations at this point? For me, they would be below Sewell and Slater. Sewell went, what, six last year or seven, seven last year? Yep, and then Slater and then went 12. Slater went 12, right. So for me, they would be below. But I know, I mean, Lance, I mean, he he has Neil um, uh, above Sewell from last year. So, okay. uh, you know, I, I think it's really a case-by-case basis. And, and what you really want in an offensive lineman? You know, I, and I think Icky, he might have the highest upside, even above Sewell, just because of the way he moves. And I mean, the fact that he wasn't a, uh, you know, an offensive lineman his entire life. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of gradually gotten better and better. And so... Uh, I, I think that you could argue Sewell or Iquandu has the most uh, upside of the groups. But Slater, there's just nobody in this group that has his level of technical refinement, understanding of pass set depth, that t- type of thing. So, But I, this is a really good tackle group. Uh, you throw in Charles Cross from Miss- Mississippi State. His movement patterns, his hand exchange, just above average. 
throw in Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa, who is 6'7", 325, and a really good athlete. He's powerful, really, really smart. And then, uh, you know, his aggression that he plays with is, you know, that no mercy attitude is something that really separates him. So this is a really strong offensive tackle class that we're going to see these guys go early. I wouldn't be shocked if we see four tackles uh, all go top 10, uh, just because, you know, with the relative lack of high-end talent out of the positions, the lack of quarterbacks. Uh, so tackles will go early. Moving away from them, uh, throwing Kyle Hamilton in this mix, who is one of the biggest wild cards of the first round. This is a guy who you watch him out there playing single high. You watch him playing towards the box. You see him do a little bit of everything. He has the range that just jump jumps out at you. Um, and then you talk to him about football and you're blown away by how smart he is, how he sees uh, the offense and how he reads things. He is a supersized safety, legit 6'4", 220 pounds, who, who moves well. And he's also a really good tackler. But he's, he's a wild card because I think... Everyone's going to going to like him. He's going to be on every draft board. Big, rangery, smart. I mean, every team wants that, but not everyone's going to see a fit with him as a top ten pick. They, you know, not everyone's going to look at him and say, "Yeah, that's definitely what we need." But we we, we don't just don't feel comfortable drafting him this early. So, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he falls out of the top seven, maybe maybe even out of the top ten. I mean, Derwin James fell to what seventeen in two thousand eighteen, yeah. and so I don't think it's as crazy as people think and. Uh, he didn't run as fast as people uh, expected him to. Kyle Hamilton, he um, I think it was a four five nine at the at the combine, and then his pro day, he actually ran slower. He was a four seven zero, and I thought it was interesting. He didn't do any positional drills at uh, his, his pro day, which I think is an effect of the David Ojabo injury that that happened uh, over the last few weeks uh, t- towards Achilles at the Michigan pro day. So uh, Kyle Hamilton is a really interesting player who has undeniable talent, but trying to peg exactly where he's going to go in the draft, uh, that's a little bit tougher. So I think the highest drafted safety in recent years is Micah Fitzpatrick at 11, right? That was after Jamal Adams. That was the yeah. 2018 draft. And then Derwin James is a little bit later. Derwin, I assume, is injury driven, right? He had some injury concerns coming out of Florida State. So, so you have that mm-hmm. factor thrown in there. I mean, the Kyle Hamilton conversation is one that I think we'll have a lot here over the next month as we talk about you know, the draft filtered through modern football and its ideas, positional value, how certain schematic tweaks and changes affect the desire for someone like Kyle Hamilton, and also just the availability of players like that. Here's what you try to square to me at safety, and I'm curious how you feel about this. I don't think safeties are, are devalued with the way that the modern game looks. I think they're more important than they've been in a lot of years, especially when you consider the fact that they're more interchangeable. You're seeing a lot more too high teams, a lot more too high looks where you don't have that delineation of responsibilities between a post safety and a box safety. So you want somebody that can do a little bit of everything, but do you need someone with top 10 physical skills to solve that problem? It's not that they're devalued in how they're used. It's that you don't necessarily need this eye-popping athlete to do what that position needs to do. That, to me, is the thing that's tough to reconcile. So how are teams going to view him through that lens, to me, is one of the more fascinating questions about the first round, the top 10, however you want to spend this. Yeah, It's not too dissimilar from the running back conversation. It's not that running backs don't have value in today's game. It's just you know that you can find value at the position later on. And you look at you know, Jesse Bates, uh, Justin Simmons. Um, I mean, it, you can find uh, up and down the NFL, some of the top safeties, you know, you did not have to draft them uh, early. Uh, yeah. And I think that this class has a few of those guys, you know, guy, you know, Jaquan Brisker from Penn State, Lewis Seen from Georgia. Uh, this class has a few safeties who probably don't go until round two, but uh, you, you project as, as starting level uh, guys. And I think it's important with Kyle Hamilton that we, we, we it's, it's, it's a conversation to have about quote-unquote versatile safeties. Kyle Hamilton's very versatile with what he can do, but it's also important that you have a plan for him in terms of maximizing the matchup potential. So, you know, it, it's, yes, he can line up and play split safety or single high. He can he can play in the box. Uh, you don't really want him playing man-to-man in the slot, but he can match up against tight ends. Um, but it's important that you, on every single snap, you're putting him in in a position to succeed. And that's Maybe not something that every defensive coordinator has a strong grasp of doing with with a talent like this. 
So one of your guys that you've been banging the drum for for a while here, just because in a year without quote unquote truly elite prospects, his testing was going to be off the charts was Trayvon Walker from Georgia. And it feels like the conversation has started to shift where he's creeping up and up and up as more and more people realize that where it's like, man, this guy's just a rare combination of traits in a draft that kind of lacks that type of player. You had him at three in your latest mock draft. What about him as a prospect kind of gave you an inkling that this might be coming. Yeah, so the line I've been using since October uh, is fast forward three years from now. And if you told me Trevon Walker is the best defensive player from this class, it just it would not be surprising at all. And, and I took heat when in January, I put him at number six overall in my top 100. But like you said, since the combine, uh, I think more coming around to, okay, yeah, this guy is just, just different with how he moves. Uh, and But to me, when you watch the tape, you see this on tape. You see the talent. You see the traits. Uh, is he an established pass rusher? No, but I think context is important to understand what he was asked to do in that Georgia defense, the way he was schemed. He was lined up primarily over the tackle, asked to hold the point of attack. When he was allowed to just rush and get after the quarterback, you do see bend. You do see closing speed. Uh, you see shed skills. All the traits that can make a defensive lineman special. So Walker, a guy that's 275 pounds, ran a 4.51, 35.5-inch arms, easy change of direction, freaky explosiveness. Uh, that's why I just can't see him getting out of the top five picks, probably not out of the top three picks. The Jaguars at one, Lions at two, Texans at three. There is a pretty good chance he's going at one of those spots, and I, you can't rule him out at number one. Just because you know Trent Baalke is a little bit of a wild card with some of these freaky uh, pass rushers that you know, and, and Trevon Walker has that potential. So I think when you look at the traits and what he's capable of being, it is not hard to talk yourself into Trevon Walker. And again, this is not a reaction to the combine. This is something that I really believe you saw on tape, and the combine just confirmed what we saw. If you're looking at his best comps physically, uh, according to his testing numbers mm-hmm. on something like Mock Draftable. Some of the names that jump out immediately, Ziggy Ansah, Jadavian Clowney, Gaines Adams. I mean, these are top five picks. And it, he has the same sort of outlandish physical qualities that some of these top five picks have. And when you're doing that stuff at 270, there are only so many players who are going to do that. And they're your Miles Garretts and your Clownies and the guys that you typically see drafted in this range. And I think it's even easier to talk yourself into that when, one, there's no quarterbacks chewing up all that space in the top five and two there aren't other guys in this same physical conversation yeah and it's just uh because i'm sick you know watching going and watching the combine tape and watching him doing the hoop drill (laughs) i mean the guy is he's so long and he and he bends so easy that it just it looked like it just nothing for him to be able to dip and move around the hoop like he did. It's just it's really something something special. And so yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him in terms of you know if and it depends how teams use him. You know, are they going to line him up outside the tackle? Or are they going to if he if he's drafted to more of a three four uh, base team? Is he going to be playing in space or be asking to play over the tackle like he was asked to do in college? I mean, I think he could do all those things. But I, I'm really excited to see him when he gets more pass rush opportunities, when you know, use that length to his advantage, use that explosiveness. Uh, he can win with power, can win with quickness. So uh, just, just not a, a polished pass rusher. I mean, it, it just, it, there's nothing on tape that says that he is. But like you said, there's just only so many guys that ha- have this type of traits, have this type of ability. And uh, I mean, he just turned 21 years old. So he, he's a young player still growing and uh, learning how good he could be. 10-yard split is only in the 70th percentile. Pretty weak. What, what, a, what, a, what a bad player. I take back everything I just said. Jeez. Everything else is like 80 and above. I mean, all the physical qualities. I mean, the wingspan, arm length, everything nine, else. Yeah, 6, 8, I mean, nine, three cone is ridiculous. At that size, is absolutely wild. All right. I want to just very quickly, can you remember anything like this, Georgia group? I mean, you throw him hmm. in there and he's what? In terms of college production and what they were at that level – He's the sixth, seventh most notable guy among that group. I mean, it's absolutely insane what this class looks like from one single school. And obviously, the success they had and what they did last season, it shouldn't be that surprising. But when you just see it laid out plain in something like your latest mock, it's like, I cannot believe it's this many dudes that are 
top 50, top 32 talents from one school. And it makes you wonder if Trevon Walker went to, you know, like Jermaine Johnson, who was at Georgia last year, transfers to Florida State. He counts and, here in this conversation. Right, I'm not yeah. deciding that. He, he bet on himself, you know, because he wasn't, it's not like he wasn't good enough to get on the field. He was getting on the field, but Georgia, they just a constant rotation in and out. Of, and it's smart. They have the dudes. Why not, you know, keeping them on a, a snap count so you're keeping them fresh? So, you know, Jermaine Johnson, he was good enough to, to get on the field, but going to Florida State, he bet on himself to be the alpha, and he responded, leading the ACC in tackles for loss and sacks and uh, cementing himself as a, as a top 20 player in this class. If Trevon Walker did that and went to a, a different scheme, if he goes to Mississippi State and he's able to rush off the edge, how does that look? Or, you know, one of these other guys, if, if Quay Walker, uh, the linebacker who was not a starter until this year, um, if he's the guy at a linebacker at a different school, how are we talking about him? It's just a really interesting mix of talent. I think you have to go back. I mean, LSU, their offense a couple of years ago, led by Joe Burrow, that was, you know, an all-star group. Going all the way back to those early uh, Miami teams 20 years ago with you know, some of the, the defensive personnel they had. Uh, with you know Ed Reed and Vilma, DJ Williams and Vince Wilfolk and all those guys. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's very rare. And Georgia, they're going to set a team record for most top 100 picks easily. I, I think they they might have more top 100 picks this year than they've had draft picks in one single draft total. So it's kind of crazy. The record's 14 in a draft. I don't think they're going to get it, but they're going to come close to at least. Uh, to tying, which LSU did it and Ohio State did it uh, within the last 20 years. So uh, this Georgia team, yeah, it's no wonder they won the national title with the talent on that roster. It's interesting you talk about the Trayvon Walker thing in terms of role and fit and what he was asked to do. I think that Jordan Davis is in a similar conversation, right? You have to separate what a player did in college for the betterment of their team and what they needed specifically and what they can be in the NFL. Because there's all this talk about, well, if you, how much can you really invest in a guy who's a two-down player? Well, he's a two-down player at Georgia. He weighs 340 pounds now. He's one of the most ridiculous athletes in the history of the combine when you look at the way that he tested. So maybe he can do a little something different for you if asked to at the next level. Trying to figure out how to thread that needle between what we've seen from them and how you can project them moving forward always seems to be one of the biggest conversations right now. And I think you could talk yourself into like Jordan Davis is a great example, and you could talk yourself into either way with him because you can watch what he does and the talent and see his numbers and say, yeah, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a dominating run defender with upside to push the pocket and give me something uh, as a disruptor as a pass rusher. But then again, you watch his junior tape. And then you watch a senior tape and you see a better player, but you also see a guy who didn't play as many snaps. And so you wonder, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to draft Jordan Davis in the top 20, I'm going to ask him to play, you know, upwards of 40 snaps a game. If he does, cause he only played, he averaged, uh, I guess 25 it was in the 20s. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you ask him to play f- close to 40 snaps a game as a rookie and, and, you know, as a regular NFL starter, does his production drop off, his uh, ability to stay fresh and, and give that same level of energy? Can he sustain that? I, that's a Is conditioning question. your biggest question? I think, yeah. I think it's, you know, it, if he ran, you know, it, give him 140-yard dash, he could run a 4.7. Just remarkable for a guy that size. But if you're going to ask him to, you know, run over and over again, all of a sudden, you know, that he's not running 4.7s pretty quickly. And so it, same thing on the field. If you ask him to play more snaps and against NFL blockers, it's I, I do worry about him wearing down over the course of a game. And he's still a massive dude who he has backfield vision. He's very good against the run, but I do think about impact potential and where that where the, you have to, to kind of reconcile that. And so, like I said, you could talk yourself into you know both sides of the conversation here, where you're worried about with a higher snap count, is he going to be able to sustain that level of energy? At the same time, you can just say, I don't care. I'm betting on a guy with this rare size, rare athleticism. And at worst, I know I'm getting a dominant two-down run defender. And maybe I get a little bit more out of him. So it's Jordan Davis is a really interesting prospect in that respect. Again, especially in a class like this, where you're looking at the other types of players who are available. And you're looking at a guy like him and thinking, how many human beings are built like that and move like that? The answer is one 
Right? Like, there is one yeah. person on earth who is built like him and moves like him. I'm yeah. just rolling the dice. I, yeah. You figure out fit, need, value, all of that shit. I could talk about that when we get to training camp, we get him on the field. But that, that just seems like the type of bet, especially in a class like this, that's worth making. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Let's get to the quarterbacks. Here's what I want to do. All right. You had in your last mock, which a lot has happened since then. Many things have changed. But you had three guys going in the first round. I feel like we should still keep doing this. Kenny Pickett from Pitt, Malik Willis from Liberty, and Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati. Okay? There are two other guys that have been in the conversation with both of them since the start of this process, right? And that would be Sam Howell from North Carolina and Matt Corral from Ole Miss. Those five guys make up the group. Would you say that's fair? Uh, that is fair. Definitely, yeah. Okay. And the order of those guys, that's that's where it gets a little sticky and is different from team to team. Uh, so many different opinions on the on these quarterbacks, where they should be drafted, the order they should be drafted, which you know makes it makes it really fun this time of time of year as we try to guess, okay, oh, what quarterback coaches where and you know, what, oh, they had dinner last night before the pro day. Okay, that's uh, you know, it, it makes it really interesting as we try to figure these guys out. So that's what I want to do right now, okay? I want to go through all five guys, and I want your case for and against them being the best quarterback to come out of this class, okay? Let's start with Kenny Pickett. What is the case for Kenny Pickett being the best quarterback from this group? He is my top-ranked quarterback in this class, and I think, so Let's if you took Joe Burrow's general scouting report as a prospect, scrub it of any mention of LSU or you know anything Burrow-specific uh, in terms of his path, and then you did the same with Pickett. And, you know, no, remove any mention of Pitt. And then you put them side by side. They're going to read pretty similar. I mean, you're, you're getting two smart cerebral passers, better than expected movements, good, not great arm strength, uh, the ability to be accurate at all three levels. Uh, now, Burrow, he led that LSU team to a national title, arguably the best season we've ever seen as a quarterback. Pickett was no slouch uh, with, with what he did. Now, ACC is not on the level of the SEC, but... 42 to 7 touchdown interception ratio, 42 touchdowns, the most ever in the ACC, broke Deshaun Watson's uh, record of 41. Uh, I do think the one main difference with Burrow is just his level headed response to pressure and pocket movements. Uh, Pickett has good pocket mobility, but he's not on the Burrow level when it comes to pocket awareness and his ability to navigate. That, that, uh, Burrow's just special. Uh, in that regard. So, but nonetheless, we're talking about two really quality uh, players and, and Pickett, uh, he could be an NFL starter. I don't think there's any question about that. What teams are asking themselves, is he the type of quarterback who can lift an offense and compete for Super Bowls? Or is his ceiling kind of maxed out as a guy who's going to need some talent around him and you're competing for playoff spots? So with Pickett, I think you know, the strength, or, you know, why I would fight for him is because there's a lot of things that are going to translate to him being a starter. And, and I have no doubt in my mind he will start in this league. My reason against is, does he have the type of ceiling that's going to help me with that end goal of winning a Super Bowl? And it's funny because that difference that you mentioned with him and Burrow, we talk all the time, what's your superpower? Like as a quarterback, what is your superpower? And that's Burrow's. It is the beyond the, the cerebral stuff. I mean, his ability to kind of put them in the right position and and find things based on structure and pre snap look, all of that is important when you talk to coaches there. But physically, his superpower is that ability to navigate the pocket, to create and extend plays, and especially this year when teams bring extra extra guys, whatever, use that to create plays down the field. That ability to kind of conjure something out of thin air is what his superpower is really rooted in. If Kenny Pickett doesn't have that, then what's his? And I think that you're left with maybe nothing. And that's the, the concern here. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, I think that's fair. And Kenny Pickett, he got beat up so much uh, by a, a, just a below average pit offensive line as an underclassman. And this year, he actually got some protection. And yet, you still see, saw him get a little skittish at times. Or, you know, scares me. Yeah, it, it, sure. But I think he got better as the season went on. But there were times, especially early in the year, where. You could tell he's kind of like he's got time, and then all of a sudden he's looking around, waiting for that you know the walls to cl- close in. Then he's like, "Oh, I've got an extra second. Eyes go back up, finds the you know his target, and you know it's a positive play." But 
it, it is something with him that you know you you worry about when that time to throw in the NFL is just going to be so much uh, shorter. Malik Willis, the argument for him being the best quarterback in this group. Oh, he's so fun to watch on tape because the athleticism, the ability to spin and drive the football. He's a natural play extender, and that's something that will fit at the next level. I think his best throws on tape are the vertical touch passes down the sideline, down the seam. So I'm betting on, uh, and he's got a very compact, uh, you know, body type. He's short, but I mean, he almost looks like a running back because he's he's a pretty thick dude, uh, two twenty at six foot even. So I I think he's you know. Got to he he has the just the physical traits that can, you can see being productive at the ne- next level. The main question with him is the post snap reads, and this is what worries me with Malik Willis is, and it's not one of the, it's one of those things where it's not that he can't do it. He just he wasn't asked to do it on a consistent level at, at, at the college level. So you study his film, and he's just not a progression based. It's not a progression based offense that he's in. His eyes aren't reading coverages to tell him, okay, where do I need to look next? How do I find the vulnerable spots uh, in the defense? So field vision, decision making, two critical areas, obviously, of playing the position in the NFL. They're still in the developmental phase for him, and so it's not that he can't get there. But how long before he's going to get there and how long before you're going to put him out there and feel like he's ready. So he's going to need some time. He's going to need some, a red shirt year. Is, is he going to be able to start a year from now? Uh, is it going to take longer? So the answer to these questions are going to look different from team to team. And it just, it makes it tough because he's a big projection. And I've heard nothing about, but awesome things about Malik as, you know, with his character, the way he carries himself the upside's undeniable, but whether or not he gets there, that's the gamble of projecting a player like this. And where do you feel comfortable drafting him? So that's where I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, the number two to the Lions talk, I just, I, I'd be shocked if he went that high. I, even top 10 feels early. I, I think once we get to like 20 in the Steelers, to me, that's more realistic when we talk about Malik Willis, just because of the amount, the, the gamble of him progressing in some of these areas that we just haven't seen him do consistently on tape. It's interesting. I mean, again, the, if there are not that many guys that you would coin as truly elite and you have teams that could give him a little bit of time, right? And if every single team at this point mostly has a stopgap quarterback option, if you're talking about Pittsburgh, Mitchell Trubisky is there. Atlanta, Marcus Mariota is now there. Detroit, Jared Goff is there. Everyone has someone that could bide Malik Willis or whoever they end up drafting some time and you have to factor in just the inevitability of quarterbacks getting pushed up the draft I mean it it happens every single year even if we think there aren't that many first round prospects at the position it wouldn't be shocking to see three of these guys go in the top 12 if teams are looking at that and saying you know what this is our chance to find a quarterback who knows what's going to happen next year all the uncertainty that comes with it so that's going to be fascinating Desmond Ritter his case for being the first quarterback taken uh, he's a quality player. I mean, you watch his, his tape and you can easily see him becoming an NFL starter. He needs to speed up his trigger. Um, and that's kind of my one issue with him. It, I want to see him be a little quicker with his reads and then be more accurate. Gets a little scattershot, but he's capable of making whole field reads, uh, working progressions. He's a loose athlete. You put up his combine numbers, compare him to some wide receivers, and they're almost identical. So he's a good-sized athlete. Uh, the self-confidence is something that teams always bring up when talking about Desmond Ritter. And so it's a strong selling point for him. So I think there's there's a lot of things that point to him being a starter in this league. And I think once we get to Pittsburgh at 20, I think we're on Ritter watch in terms of how early he could go, uh, be somewhere in that mid to late first round. Um, I, I think that's a, it's a realistic uh, possibility for him. Sam Howell. A lot of Baker Mayfield. It's funny how that Baker Mayfield comparison has changed compared to last year. Um, but things have you know, shifted a little bit, a little bit. You know, coming back. I mean, he lost so much on that offense last year. Coming back this year, it just it looked very different with what he was asked to do. Um, he used his legs quite a bit more. So I want to see him clean up his footwork and develop as more of a pocket passer. Uh, that that's where I kind of worry with him. But he has NFL quality arm strength. He's a good athlete. I think he operates with a, a slow heartbeat. Now, he's not a guy that gets really uh, skittish back there, but he is. He has maybe the best deep ball in this draft. Um, I think he has a, a lot of traits that you point to and say, yeah, that that's NFL quality. So there is a lot of ba- Baker Mayfield there. And I, ba- Baker Mayfield is 
a solid starter in the NFL. It's not like that's uh, a bad thing, but obviously there are some questions there that you worry about maybe holding him back from ever taking that next step as an NFL quarterback. Do you think he, in terms of just being a prospect, is a step down from the, the three guys that we just talked about? Yeah, for me, he is um, slightly. But again, I do think he could be an NFL starter. But I do think that there's, when you talk about ceiling and what he could eventually be, it's hard to talk yourself into uh, Sam Howell having that that high ceiling or a guy that's going to come in and you know lead you to the playoffs, lead you to the Super Bowl. It just It's hard to look at his tape and, and really convince yourself of that. All right, Matt Corral. What is the argument uh, for him being the top guy? Everything he does is quick. I mean, I, I, I compare him to like a shortstop in baseball, a point guard in basketball, uh, his feet, the way he, he sees things, uh, the release, the way the ball is up and gone, he throws with zip. He's he's got natural twitch to 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 the way he moves and the way he operates, uh, and that's something that you really like about him. He's an instinctive athlete with a live arm, very competitive. You know, you talk to his teammates uh, about him, and they always bring up his toughness. Uh, he is the toughest guy in, in that locker room for Ole Miss, and so that's something that you can really appreciate about him. Now, on the flip side. You do worry about some of the off-field decision-making that kind of creeps onto the field as well. Uh, you want to see him show more anticipation as a passer. And it's a very defined offense in that Lane Kiffin RPO-based mm-hmm. uh, shotgun offense that he runs. So a lot of times he's going to his first read. He's locked on. That's where he's going. Boom, he's going to hit it. And there are different three-level concepts that he's, before the snap's even there, he knows, okay, I'm wait, I'm going deep. And may, meanwhile, the uh, middle crosser is wide open for a first down, and you know he's trying to take a deep shot. So it, there are a lot of things that he needs to mature in terms of his post-snap reads, uh, and it, that stems a lot from the offense that he played in, in, in uh, at Ole Miss. So he's got a lot of room to grow. And, you know, there, that's why we're talking about Matt Corral is probably more of a day two pick than a day one pick. Uh, he's also not a big guy. I mean, he's, you know, right around 6'1", uh, right around 210. But he, there's a lot that he has to offer that you could see uh, in the right offense, in the right scheme, putting points on the board. All right, let's go through some of the strongest and weakest positions in this class. I always feel like that's useful as we wade into it. We've already talked about some of the pass rushers at the top, Walker, Hutchinson, but my understanding is that this group in general, beyond the top two guys, is the strongest that it's been in a while, especially when you compare it to last year where there was nobody. I mean, it was the weakest pass rusher group in recent memory, and that influenced the free agent class from last year, a lot of different considerations there. So would you say that pass rusher stands at the top for you when it comes to positional strength in this draft? Yeah, there's no doubt. And I, that will be reflected on draft weekend. There, there's no question about it. We'll see. We could see as many as seven pass rushers. I think I'll put it this way. We'll see. We should see at least seven pass rushers in the, in the first round. And that's not including David Ajabo, who yep, good chance he falls out of the first round after his Achilles injury at his pro day. That's not including some... Upside guys that could sneak in there, like like say a Logan Hall from Houston. It, it's just a really deep class, and I mean we know that last year. I mean there were several more than anticipated, but there was only one in the top eighteen. Wasn't Jalen Phillips the first pass rusher that went off the board last year? Right, and we know that if a pass rusher shows a ton of promise, that they're going to get drives almost like quarterbacks. They'll be overdrafted. So the fact because you we want that fifth year option with those guys. I mean that's the Peyton it, right. Turner thing, Russo, Owe. Try and Sharinka, all of those guys went near the end of the first round because it's one of those high value positions. And I think in, in this year's class, a lot of teams are going to look at it and say, you know, there's a lot, not a lot of no brainer players at the top. So we're going to, but we're going to feel good about taking this, this pass rusher who shows a, a ton of potential, a lot of ability. And uh, I, so it's not, but it's not just upside. A lot of these guys have proven talent. When you talk about a Jermaine Johnson from Florida State, who we mentioned earlier, Georgia transfer goes to the ACC and is outstanding as both a run defender and as a pass rusher. Uh, we we'll, we're going to see at least, like I said, seven pass rushers in the first round, and it's not going to stop there. In the second round, third round, fourth round, we're going to see pass rush well represented. I think at every stage of this year's NFL draft because it's an important position, obviously, but also just because of the sheer volume of, of talent at the position this year. As you dig through and talk to people and continue to have conversations, where does the temperature kind of sit on Kayvon Thibodeau? Hmm. That's a loaded question. Really talented guy who you just, 
I, I think first of all, because he came into this this class as being, oh, he's the number one guy. He's no brainer going number one. He's you know, he kind of got put in that same level of conversation with Chase Young as the Boses, as Miles Garrett, as just being that no-brainer, going to be the first non-quarterback drafted, when in reality, he was never on that level. When I talk to teams, they compare him to uh, Vic Beasley or, you know, that level of prospect coming out. Who Vic Beasley, I believe, was still a top 10 pick, but, you know, eight, I, I think. Just, right. But it wasn't on, considered on that same level. There were some you know, poke holes in his game. And with... Thibodeau, he also, you know, the off-field stuff is something that uh, is part of his his report, scouting report. It's he turns off teams because of he's a very confident guy, and that ego is something that you know bothers some teams in terms of just you know is he going to be able to is, is football a means to an end for him, or you know is he too brand conscious? And you know, a lot of a lot of pass rush, a lot of players in the NFL are not humble guys. You know, it's not like that's a requirement for you to become a superstar. But teams have to be convinced, if they're going to draft you top 10, a lot of teams have to be convinced that football matters to you, that it, it you love it, that it's a genuine passion for you, that you're going to get every ounce of talent out of what you have. And so not every team is there with Kayvon Thibodeau. And then you also have the questions about, okay, is he, like, he's not the most fluid guy. I mean, he wins with power, hand strength, he wins with uh, his ability to uh, that forward lean that he has, the, these jab steps. Um, he's not that f- overly fluid type. A, a lot of Jadavion Clowney uh, comparisons um, out there. And Clowney's a good player, but he, I don't think he's necessarily lived up to that number one overall pick like, say, a Miles Garrett has. So with Kayvon Thibodeau, I, he could still sneak into that top five. I, it could happen, no doubt, because he has talent. But if he doesn't go until the 8 to 12 range, that shouldn't surprise anybody. We talked about the tackles. Would you say that that's probably the second position you'd look at in terms of overall strength? Definitely in the mix. Um, I I think tackle, linebacker, maybe wide receiver, although I think it drops off once we get to day three. But tackle is going to be up there because of uh, the the guys we're going to see very early come off the board. Uh, Referenced it earlier, how we're going to see maybe seven or excuse me, four tackles off the board in the top seven to 10 picks with, with Kwanu, Neal, uh, Charles Cross, and, and Trevor Petting. Um, and, and then there's some quality tackles uh, going in the top 50 with, say, uh, a Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan. Tyler Smith has some momentum from Tulsa, even though he's a, incredibly raw. Uh, we've seen, you know, Austin Jackson go first round, Isaiah Wilson go first round, guys that were very, Dude, that's very raw. Gone well. Yeah, no, exactly. But we've seen it happen, and it will see it happen again. And we could see that with a guy like Tyler Smith uh, out of Tulsa, who, who's got traits to work with, but just incredibly raw with what with uh, where he is in his development. And then on day two, there's some, you know, Abraham Lucas out of Washington State is just a solid offensive tackle prospect who can start in this league. You know, same thing with, say, like uh, Daniel Falele from Minnesota. So uh, tackle is definitely up there. And I think, like the conversation with pass rushers, because there's so much, so many questions about the talent at the top of this draft, some of these teams are going to look at it, you know, and say, you know what, we can use an upgrade to tackle. It's a premium position, and th- these guys, th- this tackles as talented as the rest of these uh, other players at other positions. So we're going to tackle is going to win out, and so we're going to see tackles go early. Yeah, I mean, tackle is one of those positions that the history of second round tackles is pretty bad. I mean, yeah, it's, it for is. the most part, those guys also get overdrafted. I mean, there are some examples recently. Like Sam Cosme last year, I think, is a perfect example, right? Somebody mm-hmm. that extremely raw, but you're going to bet on the physical tools. You have a plan for him. He comes in. Some growing pains right away, but ultimately shows a lot of promise. But th- th- that range is typically more reserved for either guys who are really low-value athletes and you just think are solid plug-and-play guys or super high-value athletes that are incredibly raw and need a lot of molding. So very rarely do you see a guy that is a borderline prospect fall into the second round. Often those guys are overdrafted in the same way we see with some of those other positions. Really quickly, uh, talk me through the corners with Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley. How does this those those two and McDuffie from Washington, how do they compare to some of the last couple years when you look at those really high-end cornerback prospects that we've seen? Yeah, and I think Sauce Sauce Gardner, he is he's really interesting. We're we're not going to see him run a three cone before the for the uh, draft, and there's a reason before that. 
but he did run a four four one at at the at the combine. He didn't do anything at the at his pro day, but he did run a four four one at the combine. So okay, check that box for speed. He's almost six three, a hair under six three, one hundred ninety pounds. 33 and a half inch arms. So he's got the, the physical traits working for him. And then his tape is just, it's a shutdown tape. Uh, teams just didn't test him because uh, they decided to go the other direction uh, to avoid having to face Sauce Gardner. Uh, didn't allow a single touchdown. So there's a lot of things in his favor. And, I, and talking to some people that were working out with him, they, they said that, you know, the 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 cornerback room was a little quiet, little, you know, guys just putting their heads down working. Sauce Gardner, because Cincinnati played so late in the season in the college football playoff, he showed up uh, a week or two later than everyone else. The, the day he showed up, the cornerback room, those guys working out, became the loudest in the facility because of <laughs> Sauce Gardner. Like he's that type of guy who just raises the temperature of the room, brings a ton of energy, and that's kind of what you want in your corners. You know, you you want that bravado, that that that, that brashness to him that he offers. Um, and but he also has the physical traits, so. When you look at it, I mean, it's I don't you know it's it's hard when you talk about a guy like Jeffrey Okuda because he hasn't panned out, or you know some of these other corners that maybe haven't lived up to it. But I think Sauce Gardner, he's right up there if you talk about grade wise where he belongs. So Sauce Gardner could absolutely be a top five pick this year. You look at the uh, the Texans have showed plenty of interest in him. The Jets at number four uh, could go in that direction. I, I think the Giants at number five. We'll see what happens with, with James Bradbury, but uh, Sauce Gardner is in that conversation as well. So we're going to see Sauce Gardner go go early. I don't think he's going to last very long. And then Derek Stingley is another one of those wild cards because look at his freshman year and everything that he did for that national championship LSU defense. Okay, you're on board. Uh, if he had that 2019 season and 2021 we're maybe talking about Derek Stingley as a candidate for number one uh, overall, but you flip the seasons and uh, we're talking about him as a, a durability risk. And is he tough enough? Is he, is he physical enough? And, uh, you know, hopefully some of those questions will be answered um, at his pro day uh, here in about a week and then at medical rechecks. But it is something that um, teams are worried about and Stingley could fall out of the top 10 because of it. Um, and then the other guy I think belongs in that, in that mix, uh, Trent McDuffie from Washington, who, I really want to put it as my number one corner. I'm, I'm going to put sauce over him just because uh, <laughs> Garter just has more physical traits to work with. I can but just see you struggling with this. God damn, I wish I could I do know. it. I just can't I, do it. Sub 30 inch arms is just, it, it, it's tough. And, Gar- and Trent McDuffie, he's not a big guy, sub 30 inch arms, but he is one of the most intelligent corner prospects I've ever talked to. Just He's a really, really impressive guy. And, and he checks every box athletically as well. It's just you wish he were a bigger player. And you also wish he had more ball production on his tape. He just doesn't have that where, you know, you look at a guy like uh, Sauce Gardner who didn't get tested a lot, but he had at least three picks every single year. So it is, I think those two are my, my top two corners with Sauce and, and, and McDuffie and both belong somewhere in the top 15. With pass catchers, again, I mean, every single year we're going to have this conversation about how strong the group is. If I'm just yeah. looking purely based on where you have some of these guys going, it reminds me a little bit of the 2020 class. Yep. where you don't have those top 10-ish talents. But in that group, Henry Ruggs was the first receiver taken. I think that's kind of an outlier for several different reasons. Yep. Judy went 15. Judy. And then you CD have that Lamb. run where you have CD at 17, yep. Rager at 21, Jefferson at 22. I, For the rest of time, I'm so sorry, Eagles fans. Brandon Ayuk <laughs> at 25. And then guys like T. Higgins and Michael Pittman at the top of the second round. That yep. seems, at first glance like where a lot of this group is going, how would you compare this class with that 2020 group? Yep. And I, I have made that same comparison myself. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and going into that draft, we weren't sure. I think, I think the, the CD lamb was the favorite to be the first receiver drafted. And then uh, maybe Judy, and then it was, it could be rugs or Jefferson. And uh, I mean, it was, but I think that that draft kind of sums up how every team, you know, we talk about receivers as this one position, but in reality, each one offers something so different. And, ter- and so it depends on what each team is looking for. And that's, I think this class really uh, sums that up because we have uh, five, maybe six receivers in this class that could go first round. 
but they're each so different in what they offer. So it's not yeah. like, okay, oh, we missed out on this guy, so we're just going to go to you know the next best receiver. It's, it's just not quite that simple. But that's also one of the reasons why Garrett Wilson, to me, is the top guy this year because I think he can. I think he fits everybody. I, I think he does a little bit of everything. He gets open before and after the catch. He's not the biggest guy, and that's you don't like that part of it. But he does play bigger because his body control is is special. He's a former basketball recruit out of high school, and so I mean you see that athleticism. That's why he's my top guy. And then my number two guy is Jamison Williams out of Alabama, who's coming off an ACL. But the speed is so special, and it's more than just line him up and he's going to beat you in a race. It's much more than that. He understands pacing. He understands how to throttle down and throttle up. Um, he has some nuance to what he's doing, and he also has ball skills. So even with the ACL injury, Jamison Williams, I think, is... And it, I, I've talked to several teams that have Jamison Williams as their number one receiver in this draft. Now, whether or not their GM lets them actually draft a guy coming off an ACL uh, as the number one receiver, I, time will tell. But he is... That's how well he is thought of. And then I throw Drake London. I, those three guys, uh, throw in Drake London in that mix from USC... Uh, you know, basketball background. That's how he plays. Uh, plays above the rim. Bodies up. Can post up. Um, it creates little pockets of separation. Moves the chains. Also coming off a, a serious injury. Hopefully, hopefully we see him work out here in the next week at USC's pro day. So I, I would start with those three guys, and then right after that, you've got Chris Olave from Ohio State, Traylon Burks from Arkansas. Uh, Olave, two very different guys. Olave's smooth, very under control with his routes. Not going to give you much of anything after the catch. Which for a lot of teams, that's just not going to fit for what they want. But if I'm, say, the Packers at 22, you add a Lave to that mix who is where he's supposed to be, where when he's supposed to be there, that's going to fit Aaron Rodgers. And exa- that chemistry, I think, will be developed quickly. You got a guy like Traylon Burks who operated mainly out of the slot. I mean, he was that Debo Samuel of that offense, which is not going to fit what every single offense is looking for with what they want to do. Uh, for a guy that ran a four five five uh, in the forty yard dash, so um, it's just a really interesting quarter or wide receiver class. And then I mean, you throw Jahan Dotson in there, Sky Moore, George Pickens from Georgia, who's kind of the Derek Stingley on offense in terms of the way his career trajectory has gone, but he still has number one potential. And you know, even uh, Christian Watson from North Dakota State is going to get love as a top forty guy because even though you watch his tape and you just you don't necessarily see a polished player. He is tall, he's long, and you know he ran a four three. He, he's got these these explosive traits to him, and so a team's going to fall in love with that. So it's a, it's a receiver class that, depending on what you want, I think this class uh, has it, uh, especially in the early in the top fifty picks. So over the next couple of weeks here, later this week, Nate and I are going to chat about the quarterbacks. So if you guys want to check back in for that later in the week, I'm very excited to have that conversation. We'll also mm-hmm. have a similar conversation about the receivers here as we move forward with our draft coverage. So those are two positions I cannot wait to dig into. All right. Some real, some rapid fire here. All right. Okay. Who to you has been the biggest riser in this class since this time last year? Uh, I mean, some would say Hutchinson, but I mean, Hutchinson was number 13 overall for me in eight or in August before the season. So I don't think he qualifies. I mean, David Ajabo has to be up there. He had something like 26 snaps to his, to his name at Michigan. Ooh, okay. Before, so, you know, he, even though the Achilles injury is going to knock him down a little bit, he still belongs in there. Uh, Bernard Raymond from central Michigan. He made the tight end, the uh, left tackle transition in the midst of a pandemic. And so you started to hear whispers over the summer, but it wasn't until earlier this year when you saw his tape against LSU, against Missouri, that you thought, okay, yeah, this guy is is legit. And then uh, throw Jamison Williams in there as too, because you know coming from Ohio State, didn't you didn't see a ton of targets in, at Ohio State? Goes to Alabama, just absolutely blows up. Who would you say has been the biggest faller over that stretch? The guy that was potentially going to be a first round pick and now is like no longer in that conversation. Uh, I mean, maybe Sam Howell, you could talk about in there. Uh, DeMarvin Leal from A&M, um, who just has not lived up to some of the traits that he flashes. Uh, Justin Ross. Weren't his testing numbers terrible? Yeah, for a guy that's undersized, a little bit of a tweener, you just you expect more of that. And it, to keep with the Texas A&M theme, Jalen Widemeyer, the tight end, was abysmal. I mean, he ran a 503 40-yard dash, 25.5-inch vert. I mean, just... I, and he he doesn't win with speed, but you still expect him to be a capable athlete, and that's not that how he five tested, at tight so. end is tough. <laughs> he he might fall out of the draft completely. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about it. Um, and part of it is just training, you know, working. And you know, if you I, I, you can't 
tell me that if he didn't work a little bit hard, he could not have gotten like in the four eights just with some extra training. So Wedemeyer might not get drafted. Uh, Justin Ross, the other one from Clemson, who had multiple injuries, foot injury, uh, spinal fusion injury, uh, surgery. Um, as a freshman with some of those catches, I mean, his playoff, college football playoff against Notre Dame and Alabama, his freshman year was just, I mean, he had over 300 yards receiving combined, three touchdowns. Uh, he might have the largest catch radius in this entire draft, but uh, you just worry about durability wise. Um, is he the type of athlete that's going to be able to hold up on the outside in the NFL? He might be a big slot that you worry about getting hurt and guys like that don't go top 100. So you look at guys, I'm looking at tight ends with a 5040 or worse mm. that have come out in recent years. I mean, pretty much you have to be a very specific sort of player to. And he's not a, not a great blocker. And that's so Nick Boyle is one of the examples, right? Like Nick right. Boyle ran a 504 at the combine. Nick Boyle weighs 268 pounds and is one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. Like you have to be that in order to run like that and maintain an NFL career. Okay. Who would you say has been the guy you've had the hardest time evaluating? Somebody that you sought the most opinions on, somebody that's just been an enigma for you throughout the process. Jordan Davis, we talked about. I, I think he kind of qualifies for this just because, again, it's what's the biggest difference between his junior year, which was okay, and then his senior year where he was just dominant stretches. And the one really big difference is he played fewer snaps. And so that I, I do worry about him being a high pick and asked to play higher snaps in the NFL. Um, I also throw Daniel Falalele in there from Minnesota, uh, just a monster of a man. And he moves well for a guy that's 400 pounds, but uh, how is he, how is that going to hold up against speed in the NFL? I mean, it's, it's, when you get him leaning, it's just, I feel like speedy pass rushers are, they're just, it's like setting the table. Um, They're going to be able to kind of dismantle him. So I do worry about Falalele, holding up in the NFL is he's so rare and he's he's got a chance to be a starter in this league but I do struggle with him just because we we haven't really seen a guy that size with that body composition really make it at the next level he's just really unique all right three guys who are your guys in this draft we can leave Trayvon Walker out of it okay no no Trayvon Walker um Zion Johnson out of Boston College. Um, he's just he's flawless as a as a prospect um, within reason. I um, mean, he's just he's so smart. He's so uh, he understands what he's doing out there. Play strength, check that box. Combine all the testing numbers, check that box. He's got uh, versatility across the offensive line. Zion Johnson is just an easy player to like. Um, really Would you compare him to maybe uh, AVT from last year's draft in terms of like That's- what kind of prospect they are? Yeah, that's fair. I think they're a little different just in skill set, but I think in terms of what you expect of them, yeah, I think that that's comparable. If Zion Johnson went somewhere in the in the teens, I, you could easily you know defend that. We call um, that the high floor guard slot. It's like it's yeah. like fifteen to twenty two. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And the, guards usually not a position you draft in the top fifteen. It just in terms of positional value. But a guy like Zion Johnson, it's not hard to not a hard sell in the draft room. Uh, and then I would say Chris Lindstrom went 14 though. That's exactly yeah. like, that's the range for all these guys is right there. I'm going back through right. all drafts now. That, that makes sense. I mean, and he's not Zach Martin who also went kind of in that 18, range. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's um, Zach Martin's always the name I have in mind when I think of that range of right. the draft, but that's typically where it is. It's like outside the lottery is where, is where you would find those guards in most drafts. Well, because most teams usually have 15 to 18 first round grades. And so, you know, the other first round grades get picked apart and you're left with your first round guard and that's okay. You know, you, you get them in the, in the mid to late teens. Hey, that's a good player. I, I like the center class a lot. And so two guys I'd mentioned from the center class that, are, you know, you're going to get in the third round. Cole Strange out of Chattanooga and Cam Jurgens out of Nebraska. Cam Jurgens is kind of that that Tyler Linderbaum, uh, just two rounds later, uh, he's the crazy he's, testing numbers, right? Re- remarkable testing. Now he's a former tight end. He never played center in his life until he got to Nebraska. And then you, you see him block 40 yards down the field and you just, you're just kind of wowed. Um, and he needs, you do worry about point of attack strength. Um, needs, he has, you know, he's, I don't think he's a plug and play guy, but uh, you keep developing him and, and you're going to have something down the road. Logan Hall from Houston, throw him his name out there. And then Lewis Seen from Georgia, who is, he played that money position for the Georgia Georgia defense. He's got one of the f- most fun journeys of any prospect in this group. He was born in Haiti. He grew up in Florida. He learned to play football in Boston. He became a top recruit in Texas. 
And then he earned All-American status at Georgia. So one of the craziest backstories of, of this group, um, and, and scouts say he's one of the smartest players uh, in this class. He also ran a 4-3. Uh, reminds me a lot of Xavier McKinney as a prospect. It's just a guy that can fly around, make plays. So Lewis Seen, I throw in there as well. Awesome. All right. That's all we got. I appreciate you humoring me with this. <laughs> Hopefully we covered a lot. I mean, it's it's we're at the point in the draft where it's I don't know. I, it, I I'm I'm worried about the the Stony Brook guard in the seventh round. Um, so we're I, on the exact opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. Like as in terms of being in the football media full time, there are no p- two people further apart right now in their knowledge of this subject than me and you. So it's very important that we could bridge this a little bit. For the yeah. listeners in this moment, I think I think we did that, and so I'm um, I'm about to dive back into the draft guide. It's about it's about a week where I think we're a week away from getting it done, and so uh, uh, we're 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 uh, we're almost there. I'm at the point where I'm 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 literally watching schools I've never heard of, and usually every year that'll happen where a school <laughs> will pop up. Right now, D- Division Three Castleton College, um, a school I never heard of, you know, working on this defensive end because he tested off the charts. So it's it's just that type of the time of the calendar for me. So that's why you guys are off on Wednesdays. You're finishing that up. <laughs> exactly. You guys will be back next week, you and Lance on Wednesday. So if you guys want to come back and check that out, please do. We'll be ramping up our draft coverage starting this week. We're going to chat about the quarterbacks here in a couple of days. We'll be back with an off-season mailbag on Wednesday. So please submit your questions uh, by Wednesday morning. If you guys want to email us, it's athleticfootballshow at gmail.com. If you want to leave a voicemail, which we would love, it's 872-222-7073. One more time. 872-222-7073. I'll be doing that with Nate. Really looking forward to it. Please, in the meantime, rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Please subscribe to The Athletic. It's where you can get all of Dane's draft coverage and everything else that we're going to be rolling out here over the next few weeks. Theathletic.com slash football show. Highly encourage you guys to do that if you have not. We'll be back tomorrow with Nate. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.